Father God, we want to grow in faith. We want to know you better. We want to live for you. We want to share the good news about you. We want to know what it means to love one another and the world around us. Help us to see that now as we look at your word. By your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is love? We're in an extraordinary point, really, aren't we, in in 2021, uh, where love, if you think about it, has taken on a whole new form. Because what does it mean to love somebody now? We could never have imagined this a year ago, but love is now keeping your distance, covering your face, crossing the street, staying home alone, keeping people out of your house, not talking to people at church. Do you want to show love to someone? Well, you better stay away. Well, as necessary as lockdown may be, there is no doubt that the knock-on effects for human relationships are real and significant. And as we continue this series on growing in faith, last week we looked at what it means to live lives that please God, keeping growing, keeping going, keeping grateful. Uh, You you could sum sum that up as exploring Jesus' first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. But the second is like it, says Jesus, love your neighbour as yourself. And so as we continue thinking about growing in faith, we're thinking now about love for others. What, is it, what are the implications for our, the way we relate to one another in the light of what God has done for us, particularly in this season when life is so upside down and peculiar? Maybe we're let off the hook, we might think, for this. You know, is this the time really just to, to, to focus on number one? Netflix, chill, repeat, you know, you can't see anyone, so why bother worrying about them? Young people, teens, tweens and younger, this is for you as well, isn't it? Isn't it really hard to think about how you might love or care for other people when life is this strange and tough? It's hard enough in normal circumstances, let alone now when we're all stuck at home. Well, that is what we want to think about this morning. We heard these two readings from the first letter to the Thessalonians. It's a letter that is full of love and passionate commitment to these Christian believers that Paul is writing to with his companions, Silas and Timothy. So uh, we heard it in the first reading, verse 7 of chapter 2. But we were gentle among you, says Paul, like a mother caring for her little children. And uh, he he says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. See, these Thessalonians that Paul has been preaching to and sharing the gospel with, they're not just sort of targets for the gospel, they are people that he loves. And we know from Acts chapter 18 in the New Testament Uh, where we see the kind of narrative of what happened when Paul visited the Thessalonians. Um, It might sound from this letter like they knew each other really well, they were kind of best buddies as he speaks to them in this kind of way, but actually Paul and his companions had only been in Thessalonica for a matter of a few weeks, three Sabbaths, we're told. And then they were forced, in a way, to socially distance themselves from the Thessalonians because of the threat to their lives And to the lives of the Thessalonians, it wasn't a virus, it was from persecution. And they were forced to flee. 
And this letter is probably written from Corinth a short while later. So this is a kind of social distanced love that we read about in this letter. Love from a distance. Writing to encourage the Thessalonians in their faith. And so the question is, how could they speak with such passion for believers that they barely knew? Well, the key is chapter 5, verses 9 to 11. Again, if we can put that up on the screen... Each chapter draws to a close with a reference to the return of Jesus and the coming day of judgment, which is a key theme for for, for Paul as he writes. But here it all comes together. So chapter 5, verse 9, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, Encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So what is it that motivates Paul and the apostles to love with the love that we see in this letter? It is the gospel, the news that Jesus died and rose from the dead. On that basis, because of that, because of how you have been loved, encourage one another and build one another up. And this, is, this letter is full of Paul doing exactly that. And he shows his love that flows from the gospel, from his faith in Jesus who died and rose. So let's see what shape that love takes in those verses in chapter 3, from verse 6 to 13, as Paul prays once again. I've got three things to see here. First of all, from verses 6 to 10, if you can put that up, first of all we see love that focuses on others. So should you go on to the next slide to see that? Love that focuses on others. What kind of love does Paul model and encourage in the Thessalonians love that focuses on others. The thing about the word love is that it gets used to mean all kinds of different things. We're not talking about romantic love this morning, although that is so often what people assume you're talking about if you use the word love. But even if we use it in its broader sense, often what we mean by love when we use that, it really means a kind of warm, fuzzy feeling And if we dig into what produces the warm, fuzzy feeling of love, well, actually, if we're honest, it's usually more to do with the fact that we like how someone else loves us and uh, rather than actually how we are loving them. Now, of course, we might then show love in response, but Paul doesn't just mean a feeling here when he describes love. He means a desire for good, not in himself, but in those that he loves. And that is a desire that leads very quickly to action and to prayer. And he's overjoyed because he's heard the Thessalonians are continuing in faith and love. And so he can say in verse 7, if you look, something rather surprising. He says, even in the midst of our distress and our persecution, we were encouraged because of your faith. So you can imagine Paul hurrying to meet Timothy as he returns and Paul, you know, he's out and about and he's fearing for his life a bit and is he going to get attacked? Is he going to be, um, uh, he's, he's running through the streets, he's facing barrages of insults thrown at him as he goes and he reaches Timothy out of breath and Timothy says, you know, Paul, you know, life looks like it's really hard for you at the moment and Paul says, no, tell me about the Thessalonians. Don't forget about me, I want to know about the Thessalonians and Timothy says, well, you know, it's, it's great really there. They're suffering a lot, but they're standing firm and rejoicing in what God has done for them. And Paul says, oh, that's brilliant. I'm so fa- it's so fantastic to hear that. And now we really live, verse 8, 
because they are standing firm in the Lord. And he gets down on his knees and he prays and he thanks God for them. Now, isn't that rather different from what usually passes for love in 2021 in London? You know, I will do a random act of kindness. I mean, you know, that, that, that will happen. But I'll get my phone out so I can record it and then I'll Instagram it and I'll advertise it. You know, hashtag humbled to be serving at the soup kitchen today, everybody, just so you know. Uh, you know, often what's really going on when I care for others is that actually in some way I'm trying to feed my own fragile ego. I'm looking for affirmation. And we don't see that with Paul, do we? He, he just gets on with it. He's not hashtag humbled. He is genuinely humble. And there is a difference, isn't there? The key is the motive for what he's doing. See, he genuinely wants the best for the Thessalonians. So much so that, that while, even while he himself is suffering, as he says here, even in the middle of our distress and being persecuted, which is where most of us would think, you know, actually, look, enough's enough now. I'm suffering. I mean, I can't, I can't be expected to love other people while I'm suffering. No, that is still his main concern. Now, hang on a minute, you might think, because, you know, the reason we know all this is that he wrote this down, and 2,000 years later, we're still talking about his so-called love for others. You know, he's been trending a lot longer than an Instagram post. But the point is... Not never to speak about how you might be loving others, but to check and doubt our motives in doing so. Because how, can, how is Paul able to do this? What is it that, he's, that is motivating him to keep, him, keep on loving even while he's suffering? Well, it's because of the gospel of Jesus who gave himself for others. So often our self-obsession is driven by a desire for acceptance. We want other people to love us. But Paul knows, and we can know, we're already loved. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In Christ, there is love wider and deeper and longer than any human love could possibly offer. So why do we go on seeking it when we already have it? That's the point. That is how Paul can love like this. See, his prayers give him away. A question to ask as we read this prayer that he begins from verse 9 as he thanks God. You know, first of all, well, first of all, do I pray at all? Secondly, if I do pray, how much am I praying me-focused prayers? And how much do my prayers look like this? Other person-focused, concerned for the spiritual life and well-being of those around me, Christian and non-Christian. In the growing in faith card that we gave out last week and there are they are available um, I think at the back if you haven't got one yet we put space on the back for, for three ways we want to prayerfully grow in faith in 2021 and then also three people to pray for so just take these weeks as we as we work through this for the next few weeks to consider who am I going to pray for regularly ideally both Christian and non-Christian and then pray and rejoice in them like Paul does, because the gospel frees us to love others and not ourselves. And if you're at home and you want to get hold of that card so you can begin to reflect on that and pray, go onto the website and there's an icon on the, first, on, on the front page, uh, one of the boxes there that takes you to growing in faith. It'll help you with that. So that is the first aspect of his love that we see here. Love that focuses on 
others. Love that focuses on others. And then secondly, we see, if you go on to the next slide, love that overflows for everyone. Verses 11 and 12. So look at that, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. He prays for them what he is also modelling to them in the way that he relates to them. Do you see? He's longing to come to them to see them because his love is overflowing for them and he's praying then that their love too would overflow. The image here is love being like a liquid that gets poured out. God gives us his love in the gospel and then he tells us to share it with other people. And then what happens, you see, so often when we do this, we get our measuring jugs out and we think... How much do I want to share with others? And then we very carefully pour out just the amount that we think is right, you know, that we think that we can give of ourselves. We think that they deserve, and we pour out a little bit. How much do I need to love this person here? You know, well, as much as they love me, and then I'll stop. And that, but look at verse 12. Paul doesn't just pray for love to increase, but he, he says, I want your love to overflow more than is possibly deserved. He isn't satisfied with our love until it's flowing like a waterfall out of that jug. And the reason we can do that is that God isn't being stingy with the love he pours on us. Do you see? He's not holding it back. He's sending us a flood, a torrent, a a storm, a torrential storm of love in the death and the, the life and the death and the resurrection of his son so that we can know him and enjoy him and live for him in the power of his Holy Spirit poured out for us. And so he's, he's saying, take that overflowing jug that you have got because you're trusting in Jesus, if you are trusting in Jesus. He says, take that and pour it out to others. See, we love others as if there's a limit, as if it's going to run out. But the love that God has poured on us will never run out. So we can keep pouring out in love for each other and for everyone else, he says, for believers and for the wider world, for friends and even for enemies. Do you see that? If you're not yet trusting in Jesus for yourself, this is where the Christian life begins. But it begins with receiving this torrential storm of God's love for us, the waterfall, and then letting that transform us so that we can love others. We won't be able to do it without that. And that will make us love not just our friends, but our enemies, even. Those who seek to harm us, we will be able to love because God has loved us when we have behaved as enemies towards him. Do you see? So this is what motivates someone who's already busy and already has a full schedule to, you know, to give their time to leading a small group or to serving with one of the youth groups or, or beyond the church, taking the time to mentor a young Christian working in the same industry or at school, seeking to make friends with a younger Christian that mo- most people would just ignore to help them figure out how to live for Jesus. See, there will always be the lack of time and the tiredness and the stress of everyday life, not least during a pandemic, And this isn't about laying guilt and burdens on one another, but about saying, I need to get back, first of all, to how God's love has overflowed to me. And then I'll be able to love like this with fresh energy.
So if we're struggling, if we're thinking it's too much, I can't do this, well, maybe it's time to stop and come back to Jesus, first of all, and reflect on his love for us. And we need that overflowing love, particularly in the middle of a pandemic, when we're separated in many ways, even if we're here in the building, and how much more so when we're at home. And we talked about last week about how the devil longs to see Christians drift during a pandemic. And it's surely also true that he longs to see Christians fall out with one another during a pandemic and beyond. He longs to see us letting petty grievances dominate our relationships. He longs to see minor frustrations turn into major rages. He perhaps longs to see us fall out over the precise ways that we respond to the pandemic. You know, does the church closed? Does it stay open with very careful attention to safety? It's so easy to fall out about these things because these are highly pressurized times, aren't they? We, you know, we've been saying in our house there was this sense nine months ago that everything could stop when we first went into lockdown and you, you, were, you know, were kind of off the hook from achieving anything. But now we're mostly back where we were nine months ago, but with one major difference that, now actually now everything's supposed to carry on, isn't it? At 100 miles an hour, keep doing your job, keep doing school. You've got to get up to the exact standards because if you don't do that, it's not good enough suddenly. This is incredibly pressurised. But we may not be able to do much about that pressure itself, but we can address the way we respond at home, at church, by covering it with this kind of overflowing love that flows from God's love for us into the way that we love one another even while we struggle. So that we're able to say, you know, yeah, I am finding this really hard or I am getting really annoyed by that thing that you keep doing or whatever it is, but I love you. And the way that I'm finding it difficult is nothing in comparison to how God has forgiven me and he loves me and so I'm going to let it go because I can because I'm loved by God. Do you see? Now we won't be able to love like this unless, like Paul, we have grasped this gospel that he proclaimed. So that is his love that overflows and then finally he shows us a love that has an eternal perspective. So if you go on thirdly, love that has an eternal perspective. We, as we said, each chapter ends with a, a, Jesus, a reference to Jesus coming back, and, and so it does here. So verse 13, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. See, there is a day coming when all people, Christians and non-Christians, will be called to account for the way that we've lived our lives. And of course, Christians don't need to be afraid of the verdict of that day, not because of anything we've done to please God, but because Jesus has taken the punishment we deserve for rejecting God. But all the same, it will be embarrassing, more than embarrassing on that day, to be found as half-hearted Christians. You know, trusting in Jesus, but still with half an eye on our old lives of sin. Before we became Christians, if we are trusting in Jesus, you know, we're like orphans on the streets. You know, we're making do, we're, we're begging and stealing things metaphorically. But when we become Christians, it's as if we've been adopted by a wealthy family. 
You know, like that scene in, in Oliver, Oliver Twist, you know, where he, he, he is taken off the streets and he's, he's taken into this loving family with a new father, a new good father who loves us. And you see, going back to our old lives of sin is like taking the benefits of living in that wealthy family and, and, and that father, but stealing from them behind their back and, and selling their possessions for our own selfish gain. Then imagine the shame and embarrassment of being caught in that situation, still hankering after our old lives when we've been saved for something so much more wonderful. It would be, it would be shameful, it would be embarrassing. It wouldn't alter our status as, as an adopted child, but it doesn't fit. And it's a snub to the family and the father who, who adopted us. And you see, it will be like that with God. Christians have been adopted as his children into a new family. He lavishes unconditional love on us. And on that day in the future, you see, the the way that we have loved will be shown for what it is. And so Paul says, may he strengthen your hearts so that on that day you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God when he returns. The future is shaping his priorities. What about for us then? It's been said that very often Christian prayers are more concerned with keeping believers out of heaven than with ensuring either Christians or non-Christians are ready for heaven. Because we focus on the here and now as if that is all that matters. Now, of course, we can and we should pray regarding our present day concerns and our health and people suffering, particularly with COVID, which is genuinely horrible. But we will, we sh- will we also pray, and pray even harder in the light of that eternal perspective, knowing that there is, there are worse things, even than suffering with COVID, or even than dying with COVID. There is a day coming when Jesus returns, when actually COVID really won't matter all that much. But what's going on in our hearts will matter a great deal. And whether we know Christ will make all the difference and be the only thing that actually matters. So this is a challenge for our prayers in in terms of the priorities of what we pray for and how we pray for one another and whether we pray just thinking about here and now or whether we pray with our eyes on the future. It's a challenge for our prayers. It's a challenge for our love. Because again, if we love in a way that is only focused on here and now, we won't be willing to say the hard things, to say the painful things, to say, how is your faith in the light of this pandemic? Not just how's the job and how's the family and how's the week-to-week craziness. How's your love? How is your hope? Will we give permission to each other to ask those questions? It was really encouraging to hear Marta earlier speak of the way that God has been working in her through the hard times that she has faced over the last year. It's in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. What we can't see is far more important than what we can see. As we see here in verse 13, our hearts are more important than our health. Our future is more important than our present. So do we believe that? If we're parents... Will we let that influence how we encourage our children if their hearts and their standing before God is more important even than their health or even than their prospects?
hearts? Will we let that influence our own priorities for this year as it comes? So these are strange times that we find ourselves in. But even from a distance here, Paul was able to overflow in love for these Thessalonians. So will we do the same this year as we seek to continue to grow in faith? Let's pray that that would be the case. Let me pray now. Father, we want to know your love more and more that we see in Jesus poured out for us as he lived and died and rose and is reigning today. Thank you that through him we, are, we have been adopted and we can live in new relationship with you in the power of your Holy Spirit. And so as we revel in that love that you've poured out on us, may we then overflow in love for one another and the wider world with the priorities of love that you've given us in the gospel because Jesus is returning. Help us to lift our eyes off ourselves and onto others. We know that's so hard, particularly at the moment where life is so difficult at times. And we pray especially for anyone who's yet to, to see what that love means for them personally, to be able to see clearly what it means for Jesus to have died on the cross and risen from the dead so that they might throw themselves on your mercy and be given new life and new love. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.